Alright, well, let me get my uh, lapel mic started here. Or throw it on. Whoops. All right. Well, uh, we're jumping back in with uh, respectable sins. Zach was with us uh, last week and brought the word, and uh, we are finishing this up very soon. In fact, this is the second to last in the whole series. So, I know uh, for when Paul brought the word, uh, I was very very helpful. And at the beginning of our assignments, I was uh, thinking I got the great end of the deal. I get to reach the climax and finish out the series. And then I realized this week that uh, I'm talking about self-control after Thanksgiving. So I'm thinking maybe, Paul, I don't, I don't know if uh, <laughs> uh, that was intentional. No, um, I think it will be really helpful, and especially as we enter the holidays um, and think about these things from a biblical perspective Um, I pray, I know the Lord's been working on my heart in these areas as well, and I hope it's fruitful for you as well. Um, Last week, we did not finish up uh, the sins of the tongue, so we are going to circle back and finish that up, and then uh, we'll also hopefully get to self-control, and then we just have one more respectable sin to finish out the following week. So uh, let's dive right in. Um, We started with this, and I think Paul uh, also did a really good job, a faithful job of always starting with the gospel. Um, I think, again, as we just heard in the message, it can't get much more clear than the sermon we just received, right? Um, We are immersed in God's grace through Christ. And so it's always with that backdrop and with that footing that we are entering in this look at respectable sins, And we can't lose that focus, and we're going to see that even in Titus today, uh, that even our growth in self-control is rooted in the gospel, and we can't leave that. So um, I think this is always a good reminder to root ourselves in the gospel, remember God's free grace in Christ, and then recognize that we're dependent on the Holy Spirit as we identify these respectable sins in our lives and apply it. Uh, We pray for much fruit. Uh, But that's not done just by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? Uh, We rely on the Holy Spirit, and we bathe ourselves in prayer, and we come alongside others in this walk, in this battle. So remember that as we enter into these sins. All right, so chapter 19 in Bridges' book talks about the sins of the tongue. And uh, there are numerous sins of the tongue that, that we could potentially go into, but We don't have all that time. So we're going to pick out a couple specific ones. Uh, Bridges identifies the sins of the tongue as any speech that tends to tear down another person. And I would like to offer even just maybe a more expanded definition than that. I think that definitely gets at an element of sins of the tongue. But certainly we can think of other sins of the tongue that aren't necessarily geared towards tearing someone else down. Right? Uh, we can think of boastfulness uh, as not directed against someone, but working on building ourselves up. Uh, there are many different types of sins that I think may fit into a broader category than just this definition. Um, but I think it might be helpful as we kind of start to immerse ourselves in this. Maybe let's try to identify some of the ones that are most common. Bridges brings out one that, uh, as he told people he was working on this book, apparently as he was writing it, 
um, immediately they went to the sin of gossip. Um, if he brought it up in conversation, they oh, you mean like respectable sins like gossip? And um, and he said, well, yeah, that's that's one maybe, uh, but we have many, right? As we've learned, and so uh, that's certainly one of the one that we're going to hit on today. Uh, but what are some of the other ways that we can sin <clears throat> with our tongue? Maybe some of the most common ways that we sin with our tongues. Yeah, talk. Grumbling, complaining, yeah. Using foul language. Foul language, yeah. You see that in scripture. Good, lying. Yep, untruthfulness, deception. Yep. Boasting. Boasting. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Exactly. Yeah. Good. So we, we, we can see many, many ways, right? And I think this, uh, this image Paul used, and I think it is really helpful, that we're realizing that we're on the fruit end here of the sins that we've already discussed. So really, uh, what's happening here, as we learned from Christ himself, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And so really, sin uh, is coming from our heart out our mouth. And it's the most common way that we sin. The Bible has a litany of verses warning us against sins of the tongue <clears throat> because really it's just showing what's going on inside, right? It is really showing and revealing our own hearts to us. Have you ever stopped? I know I have uh, said something and then immediately went, where did that come from? And then you're going, wow, that was in my heart, right? Um, and you're realizing that this is... This is a sin that's in, inside that I'm struggling with. So we see these common ways. <clears throat> We're not going to spend time getting into every single one of these uh, that, that we sin with our tongue, but I think we mentioned most of them. Lying, slander, gossip, harshness. Bridges actually spends a, a good amount of time on sarcasm, um, talking about how this is maybe a, a common way of uh, deflecting uh, what what actually is sinful? Um, we can talk about that a little bit more. But deflecting attention off ourselves, or it may be a protective mechanism to subtly get in there the last jab. Um, so so we can think through that as well. Ridicule, shame, boasting, flattering. These are all ways that sin can come out. And I've already mentioned this, but um, Bridges, I think, wisely in his book says the battle for the sin of the tongue is in the roots, right? If we stop short and simply just say, um, I, I want to get better at not saying that in the moment, um, or we can talk about this with gossip in a minute, um, there's a, a good adage or a thing that we often use, and I've used it too, is uh, picture that person is in the room with you, right? And then what would you say? Would you still say the same things about them? That may be a good uh, way to maybe deflect that sin, but it may not go deep enough. Uh, we may actually, we should deal with that sin on a deeper level. Why am I wanting to say these things about that person? Um, it's not enough just to restrain our tongue. We have to deal with it at a root, at a heart level. And so that's what we're getting at here and, and what Christ speaks of. Bridges was saying as, as he was writing this book that he was dealing and writing with these things. And then in the next day, he had a moment where he 
apparently restrained his tongue when he, uh, and he kind of had a self-pride moment. It was like, oh, yeah, I restrained my tongue. That's what I'm preaching on. That's, and then he said in this quote, you know, I was brought up short. I realized I, I only did the first part. I guarded my mouth, but I not only needed to guard my mouth, I needed to protect my heart against those sins. So he only went to the level of saying no to the tongue, but not rooting out the sin at the root. And um, we see that in, in Psalm 19.14 as well. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And so really here, our encouragement, as, as my encouragement as we think through these things together, is let's think um, as we go through these, not just how do we not do it in that moment, but how do we deal with this on a heart level? How do we actually root out these sins with God's word. <clears throat> I briefly showed this to you last time. Again, I, I, uh, I always debate about putting lots of words on a slide, but I actually decided to do this because I think it really gives a full impact of what the Bible has to say about sins of the tongue. And so I'm just going to quickly read through these because I just want you to hear the, the many, many verses that we have in the Bible about sins of the tongue. And I think it will be helpful for us. Uh, Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. <clears throat> there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When, his, when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whispering, quarrel ceases. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Set guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips, Psalm 141.3. And so I, I just want to let that sink in as, as we read those. I mean, think about what the Bible has to say about the tongue. And this is just a microcosm of the many verses in Proverbs, especially, uh, that we have on the tongue. Let's look briefly at the New Testament, and then I want to kind of talk about how this might work itself out in our lives um, but I think doing a biblical survey is helpful, hopefully, just to get an idea of what God's word has to say about these things. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Colossians 4.6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Ephesians 4.29 let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And of course, the section in James on the tongue being as a fire. And um, this was um, last week, when we, or two weeks ago, when we talked about it, Smith Mountain Lake fire was still burning. Or not Smith Mountain Lake, sorry, the uh, one up on the mountain. Um, Colt can tell us uh, more details, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, but uh, you, you think of the tongue as a wildfire, what it's setting on fire, not only your own members, the Bible says, uh, but you see the spreading effect. Uh, and I think this is no more evident uh, 
than perhaps in the sin on gossip or the um, sin of gossip. So we're going to go right to that, and then we'll come back to Matthew. So, so gossip. Uh, this one I think probably hits home at some point with all of us. Shamefully, uh, it hits home with me. <clears throat> it's one of our acceptable sins. It happens in the workplace. Uh, <clears throat> perhaps happens in our in our homes. There's a thought that if the door is shut and uh, nobody nobody who's going to be offended can hear it, then obviously it's acceptable, right? Um, that's the lie that that we I know I often tell myself. Um, but but in that moment, what truths are we denying? How are how are we denying this truth? Um, sometimes this can even come in the form of prayer requests. Bridges says uh, where we are saying a prayer request, uh, but the, maybe the intention of our heart is to get something out there about this other person that is less than flattering, right? Um, so we have to be really careful to guard our tongues, even in those moments where uh, we're offering prayer requests for an individual. And uh, we have to really think through, why are we doing this? What is the intention of my heart in sharing this? Uh, why is this so tempting, um, I, I just want to open this up a little bit. What, what, do you, what is at the root of gossip, do you think? What, what sins are underlying this that feed the sin of gossip? Why is it so common? Pride. Yeah, pride. Yep, absolutely. Is that what you're going to say? Pride? Yeah. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, yep. some sort of malice in our hearts towards someone, and so even something we, we know is true about them, but it will make them look <coughs> worse, but it sounds to us like, well, it makes them look like what they really are, so mm. I'm not sure of that, and yeah. it's easy often to even show it with a spouse, right? That's like, yeah. well, it's kind of, it's like I'm spreading it everywhere, it's just telling them about something happened today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, along those lines, we can often justify this sin very easily, right? Um, well, obviously that happened, or obviously this is true. Um, these sins are evident in their life, so I'm just bringing them to light in this way. And so we have to be really careful about how we're using our language in those situations. Um, what situations are we most tempted to gossip or in what situation. So I really want to try to bring this home because this is one that um, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, I can get swept up into this. I uh, think of many situations. What are those situations we can be on guard for, perhaps, that are, this is most common or most acceptable? Yeah. When we feel like we're wronged in a situation. Yeah, good. Yep. When we think we have earned the right to talk about someone else in that way. Yeah, Judd. Failure. Failure, yeah. Noticing whether it's ours, probably not as much ours, but someone else's. Yep, absolutely. Hypercritical spirit. Yeah. I was just going to say different situations as like uh, being like with me and my spouse. Like I feel like I'm much more tempted to like want to talk about people and situations with her. And there's no like filter when I'm with other people, I feel like I have to like have more of a filter on what I say. So, yeah. Yep. But it's really easy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Guard goes down. You're comfortable with that person. You're obviously bouncing ideas off your spouse, but that is a, yeah, really common situation. Absolutely. Yeah. I would just say the, um, 
the fear of man is a big one, I think. Um, and I think, like, in these situations, it's, it's common to be able to develop rapport with somebody else um, based upon putting somebody else down mm. um, because you're in the know and you're included in the gossip. Yeah. And so I think the fear of man can also play a part in this. That's really good. Yeah, yeah, building myself up. I'm in the in crowd kind of feel, yeah. I was even thinking, you know, for myself, this is uh, workplace. You, you know, you joke about the the coffee table or the meeting area, right? Um, and what typically happens, usually it's some sort of complaining, which we've already talked about, a sin of complaining, um, but it can easily turn into gossip, um, putting other people down, uh, whether that person is in administration, which we're called to respect those in authority over us. Um, it seems like... Uh, the sin of gossip only applies if we're not talking about our administrators, right? <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're, they're fair game, but everybody else is fine. Um, no, you know, the, the Bible is clear as we looked at those other verses. In all things, our speech should be seasoned with grace. And um, those who have been shown grace, as we heard in the sermon this morning, looking in the mirror saying, uh, okay, wretch, <laughs> I thought that was really good, right? Um, how are you going to treat others today? You've been shown all this grace. I think, really, as we get to the root of this, that's very, very helpful. So one thing that we can do on the uh, perhaps more surface level, but I think it's really helpful, um, is examine our speech and ask some basic questions. Is what we are about to share, is it true? Is it true? And Bridges goes through this a little bit, but um, I think this can be really helpful on a surface level because he says most of what we end up sharing seemingly uh, we come to find out later is just hearsay or maybe we know it's hearsay but we don't care um, and we share it anyway because of whatever reason we oh yeah this is this is going to really get a rile out of people or I'm going to really look good if I share this one you know Um, is it true if it's not true Bridges I think rightfully says we have no business sharing it we we have to identify truth first we're taught to season our speech with truth first and foremost so if, there's an, if it is not true, if it's a half-truth, uh, we need to really guard ourselves against sharing that. Uh, secondly, it, if it, it may be true, but even if it's true, does that mean we automatically should share it? Uh, absolutely not. I think we need to ask ourselves in light of Ephesians 4.29, is it edifying and kind? And we're called to this. We, we are to season all of our speech with grace. And I fail at this often. Um, I, I need to ask myself, is what I'm about to share actually kind towards the person I'm sharing it about, right? Um, and then lastly, Bridges says, it may be true, and it may even be edifying and kind, but is it necessary? Is it necessary? And I think um, asking all three of these, if we asked all three of these before we shared anything, we probably would be talking a lot less. <laughs> and what did the Proverbs have to say about that? Uh, a lot of good things, right? Um, so, so think through this. And I think this may be a helpful, I know it has been for me, as I've stopped uh, in my conversations with Becky at home or those areas that I'm most tempted to gossip or talk about other people, um, ask, really asking myself, and then bring, bring those people in with you um, instead of, using your spouse in that way, if you're married, um, bring your spouse in on this. Hold each other accountable uh, when you hear each other start to slip into that pattern of gossip, right? Um, Bring the speech around to graciousness, as we've been told in the sermon. 
Um, these are really good ways to battle at the forefront of, of the sin of gossip. Um, other thoughts in gossip. I, I know these are going to be brief snapshots because we've got to get to the sin of self-control. Um, but are there any other thoughts as we've mentioned some things here? I've noticed that it's, it's tempting sometimes to think about like what's the content you do share about your interaction with people in a day, especially my, my wife, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like I take note of and remember the things where someone wasn't on their A-game, right? Where they were doing their best, where they responded mm-hmm. for it. But then you just kind of assume the times where they do handle things well. Mm-hmm. And you never think to like log that away or take note of that. Yeah. And so what's going on in the heart there? And then reversing that where we're quick to affirm people, right? Even other people. Just yeah. like just thankful for God's grace in their life. Mm. And then throw a blanket over those times where they, they didn't respond well or they didn't uh, do something well. And yeah. just assume, you know, that's we're, we're all sinners, and so we're gonna forget that and highlight the things where they that they do well. That would be a very good practical example of extending yeah. the grace God gives to us to other people. Amen. Yeah. So good. I think that gossip can also be kind of like a, a habit forming, and people just don't realize what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they've done their whole life. Yep. And no one's really, you know, calling out on it. Um, yeah. So I think it's a, like a habit forming thing that they just don't think about it. Yeah. Um, and it's just for that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just a Yeah, yeah, definitely. To practice those things. To practice. It's an edifying time. Is it necessary? Um, so you have to teach yourself, basically, not to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, off of that, you know, when you're critiquing and criticizing someone else, and you're trying to get others to engage in that same criticism of that person, you know, yep. that, you know, in that, that situation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's how I was picturing the tongue as a as a fire, and you kind of get that sense really. And again, I think to the workplace a lot, where someone's already partaking in this sin, so you can picture the wildfire already burning. It's only a small area, right? And then you walk into the the lunchroom, and that's when we have a choice, right? Uh, when we walk into these conversations that are already taking place. I think the easy thing to do is just kind of go along with it, right? Um, Maybe the even more tempting thing to do is to join in. Um, The hard thing to do is to either walk away, remove yourself totally, or or confront it. Um, I think that's probably the hardest would be a, a confrontation of some sort. Obviously, we need wisdom in those situations to uh, to choose when and how that happens, but. Um, yeah, I think those are really hard things um, is to actually be able to remove ourselves when those are, are when the wildfire is already burning, right? In in our situation, our environment. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was just gonna add one more thing. Sometimes I know that I'm tempted, like when I'm, I'll say something demeaning, but then I try to cover it up by saying, "Oh, but they're a great guy, though." Or something yeah, like that. yeah. <laughs> I always try to like yeah. kind of cover it by. Yeah. Like, that doesn't cover. 
yeah. what you just said about that person. Yeah, oh, bless their heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes it okay, right? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm yeah. like a brother in Christ, but she really is, like, like, not doing this right or something. Yes. Like, that doesn't cover what you're saying. Like, just don't say it. That's right, yeah. that's right. So I, I struggle with that. A that's lot. a good word, yeah, yeah, really good. In the case of having it inside of your marriage, you are now, if you choose to share gossip with your spouse, you are now tempting them to sin right. as well. And so as you're, as a husband and wife, it's your job to provide no provision for your flesh yeah. or their flesh. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to, to you're, it's not a sin that you're just committing. You're now saying, come sin with me. Yeah. That's and right. creating even more of a terrible situation. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. And also, if you're, if you're quick to to gossip about others, what is that doing in your heart when someday you you might let your guard down and start to gossip about your spouse mm-hmm. and to your spouse? Is that is that showing your spouse that you are willing to see the best and not just them but others? And mm-hmm. like we talked about, if we let these little sins continue, they grow up the bigger sins. Yeah. So yeah, I could talk about the random classmate I have at school and yeah. what they do and tell my wife about that and then and then later on down the road, I'm now talking about my wife to my classmates and mm. all of that stuff. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this just so we can keep moving, but um, slander is one that goes kind of hand in hand in gossip, and we've already hit on this, so I think we'll try to breeze over this one uh, because we have talked about this. Bridges says when slander, or slander is when we ascribe wrong motives to people even though we can't see their hearts or know their particular circumstances. We slander when we say another believer, for instance, is not committed when he or she doesn't practice the same spiritual disciplines we do or engage in the same Christian activities that we engage in. So here we see instances of even this coming out in our relationships with our brothers and sisters to whom we should especially be gracious. I think you can argue there's a a specific call in the New Testament towards one another, the one another in passages, um, where we are to love one another with the love that Christ has shown us specifically. And, um, and yet we are tempted to do this even with brothers and sisters in Christ. So um, we, we've talked about some of the reasons why. Um, so again, I, I think we'll skip this question for the sake of time, but um, we, we are tempted to slander because of pride. I think it comes down to it and many other situations. So just a couple more um, things here. We, we already opened it up to gossip. Uh, what situations are we most tempted? Um, are there any other uh, areas or things that have come up in your mind, uh, situations in which we might be tempted towards these sins of the tongue in general? So kind of opening this up a little more broad, perhaps. Um, what about uh, sins of the tongue in relation to anger or temperament or rash? Behavior. Can you think through situations where we're more, more tempted to do those things? Uh, and then we'll talk about the second question. What does this look like to battle these sins with truth? So um, thoughts on what does this look like or what situations? Um, we talked about in the home already. Um, what, are we, what are we doing there? But are there other situations that have come, come up in your mind as we've spoken? Yeah, Joe. When, like, say I've done something that's exceedingly stupid with Candace, and I have to beg her forgiveness of it, 
and then sometime later she brings that up to say, like, well, you did this before. I really, really easily, very readily wanted to spit back and name something else right mm-hmm. back to her yeah. that I claim to have forgiven her of, but want to bring it up again as, as like a retaliation mm-hmm. to yeah. her bringing something up before. Yeah. And be really demeaning in that regard of, well, you're not being forgiving, you already did this before. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good example. Yeah, we're quick. I'm, I'm believing the lie that she doesn't actually believe me, that she doesn't actually love me, she doesn't actually forgive me. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I think I've definitely dealt with that, yeah. I have a thought about the workplace. Um, it, it's so, I think it's so easy to fall into the trap of complaining about systems that we don't agree with. Not even just people, but systems. Um, I guess it's a little bit of a question. I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail, but I guess it's the best way to... <laughs> You know, to constructively, you know, have feedback is to go to the person or go, to, you know, go to the people that um, the system is being created by to be able to give feedback. Is that I, it's mm. it's kind of a can of worms, but yeah. I just don't want to have a complaining heart, and I know I fall into the trap of complaining about systems, yeah. um, not even just people. So kind of just working through the yeah through that. Um, if I, I'm going to table that because yeah. I think Titus chapter 2 has a lot to say about that situation perhaps yeah. and maybe we can hit it on that but that's a really good question yeah yeah definitely yeah Rob politics yeah politics yeah yeah that's right it's amazing how many good Christian people can turn nasty when you yeah that's right yeah absolutely yeah a lot of it too is a lack of faith in the Especially when we've been wrong, um, thinking that we have to bring down the hammer. Mm-hmm. We have the gavel in our hand. Something needs to be said. Um, yeah. Just not entrusting those things to the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, absorbing it. Yeah. Which is exactly what Christ has done. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I catch myself always wanting to be the, the one to lay down the gavel and say, mm-hmm. okay, if I don't speak up, someone, no one's going to speak up. And yeah. It's just not really my place to do that. Yeah, I know. That's good. Chad, you had something? Secondary or even tertiary theological differences. Yeah. We can yeah. not do ourselves any favors by handling our questions or our differences or our time of learning and can turn towards simply words mm. uh, on things that don't amount to orthodoxy. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, season our speech with grace. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. This may have already been mentioned, but like when someone does something wrong to you, you're really tempted to be like, well, they did this, this, and this, and just name off all the wrongs that you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're very quick to remember sin, as uh, we've pointed out. I think Tim pointed that out in the sermon as well. We're quick to remember the sins of others, but very long to forget the sins of others. Whereas we often are the opposite with ourselves, right? <laughs> uh, we forget our own sin pretty quickly. I move on from that perhaps too quick. Um, and then uh, remember all the good things I've done, right? Yeah. <coughs> I feel like similar to that, we often like excuse like harsh or critical words or even gossip as like righteous <coughs> anger. Um, and I'll just say, well, like it's righteous that I'm angry about this and mm. it's God. 
Mm -hmm. um, but it's just an excuse. And it reminds me of when we talked about righteous anger and said that it will always be self-controlled mm. and focus on God. Yeah. Um, but we can just use that as an excuse for our words. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, definitely. So how do, how do we go to battle here? Uh, we've mentioned some verses. Uh, what biblical truths are the most helpful for you or have been the most helpful for you in battling this at the roots, um, battling those lies that we believe. I know for me, just as an example, uh, one of the areas of common temptation is in the house with my spouse because I'm believing the lie, a lot of lies, but I'm believing the lie that God is not present in that situation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm believing the lie that, uh, that he's not omnipresent and omnipotent um, because obviously when we close the door, you know, it's fair game. Um, but, but that's a lie, right? Um, God is omnipresent. Uh, he's always with us. He's always present. Um, and I think just battling that at the roots for me looks like remembering his omnipresence, remembering his goodness and his grace, as we've mentioned, in those situations and rooting ourselves in the gospel. Um, I mean, that's what it has to be, right? Other, any other truths that have been helpful for you or ones that you want to mention. Yeah. Yeah, so to combat the temptation that I mentioned before, to piggyback off the sermon this morning, keeping in mind that in the Proverbs, God says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing from the Lord. Hmm. A wife is a good thing. Am I willing to repeat Adam's fall in the garden to prove a point, get my way to pridefully build myself up, or am I about the edification of, of Candace in whichever regard it is? Mm, yeah, it's really good. Amen. Yeah, Jay. Just a scripture that came to mind from the thing you were talking about there. Hebrews 4, verse 13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Mm, yeah. Amen. It's good. The instructions for fathers, so fathers not hold your children discouraged mm. and do that in different ways but often it's with our speech yeah. provoking children and yeah. just what that the fruit that comes from that it's really good being obedient to those things Amen. Yeah. yeah whenever you're sinned against um, whether it's true that you've been sinned against or it's just perceived sin um, understand who you are you're not exalted you're not holy, you don't uh, and, and remember that we've sinned against the Holy One that we have sinned against a far greater authority than somebody sinning against us and he has still forgiven us that sin not only forgiven but also forgotten tossed as far as the east is from the west and so when you are tempted to remember sin or, or feel offended by sin um know that God has shown you grace and you can show others grace by not remembering their sin and not spreading that sin if it is if they truly did sin against you not sinning by your response towards that sin yeah remember the compassion of God and be compassionate people good alright well let's uh, let's move on with a little bit of time here um with lack of self-control. And we may only get partway through, but that's okay. We still have one more week to cover. I would rather linger on these topics a little bit because I think it's really helped to really dive in uh, than to try to do a tertiary 
just overview. So um, I love the conversation. I think this is what's going to edify each other. So let's keep that going. Uh, Lack of self-control. I really like Bridges' definition here. He said, uh, lack of self-control is a governance or prudent control, um, or self-control is a governance or prudent control of one's desires, cravings, impulses, emotions, and passions. And especially this, this key section here, it is moderation in legitimate desires and activities and absolute restraint in areas that are clearly sinful. Um, that second sentence was really helpful for me uh, in thinking through this, and I definitely encourage you to write that down or somehow um, put that, take a picture or something. It's just really, really helpful to remember that, and remember that as we talk through this as well. Uh, Bridges says we have a problem, and our society, and maybe not just in our society, but the whole world because of sin, uh, we often do not say no to our own desires and emotions. Um, And I think he pinpointed our society because we have the undercurrents of postmodernism, right? Saying that do what you do, following your heart is the best possible thing you can do, right? That's the lie that we're getting from society. Follow your heart, follow your emotions, follow your desires, and the greatest sin you can commit is self-denial it, by our culture standards, right? The greatest sin you could commit is denying yourself. But the Bible tells us the exact opposite, right? Uh, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, says Christ. And so lack of self-control is, is tied into self-denial. Um, what else may be at the root of lack of self-control? Think through the times when you're tempted to lack self-control. Um, not just outwardly here, although it manifests itself outwardly. We can think of a lot of examples, which we'll um, get into a couple. Um, but I, I joked about Thanksgiving, but I think often our minds go to food here, uh, right, with self-control and uh, perhaps temper, which we've already mentioned. There are many ways that we can lack self-control, personally or outwardly. Um, what, what's at the root here? Why are we, why do we struggle so often with self-control, even though it is a clear biblical mandate? Yeah. I think one of the issues is that we believe the lie that we're supposed to be comfortable and um, that, you know, we deserve something. And I think when we believe that, then... Um, you know, choosing to get up early in the morning and spend time with God, or choosing to say no um, to our flesh or whatever, like those things are hard and we don't want to do that. Um, but if we believe that we deserve it and we don't believe that we're sinners saved by grace, but that we're sinners and that we don't deserve anything, um, I think that's a lie that we believe. I think that's why, or that's one of the reasons why it's, mm-hmm. it's hard for us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Piggybacking off what you see, like the self-centeredness yeah. of yourself. Yep. Okay. Yeah. To add to that, kind of like the worship of self, just like idolatry and being willing to sin to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like that God that's just putting us all over again. Yep. At any cost. Yeah. Yeah, Laura. I find sometimes it's a lack of trust, too, that um, lack of trust that God will provide to me, and I feel like feel the need to go and Myself, 
they didn't say no. They, they took it and they grabbed it. Mm. And they yeah, it's yeah, good. Yeah, and I think you, you guys, we, we could hit on all kinds of ways this manifests. Um, you know, what type, what type of sins does self-control lead to? Um, you name it. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are many, many ways that this manifests in our life. And uh, as I was reading, there's some actually really good uh, articles out there. There's one by John Piper on self-control that I highly recommend. There's one by David Mathis um, that are really, really good. And they really highlight the, that this is truly a battle with sin. The, the meme itself, self-control, denotes that there is a battle going on. Right, um, it's actually by its very nature alludes that we have to control some inordinate desire of ourselves, and so really, uh, even the very name points to what we're about to go into in Romans seven. <laughs> um, I think with Paul talking about the war that that we are waging against sin and being a new creation, but still struggling with sin. Um, as, we, as we look at a brief biblical survey, and I think uh, we'll end after we look at a couple verses here, because I, I think it will hopefully be encouraging. Um, there are actually three Greek words in the New Testament typically used for what we would say is self-control. Each one has a subtle difference to it. Uh, nepho is to be sober or abstain from, and uh, we typically will see that translated, like the ESV translates that self-control. Um, Engratia, I have to uh, ask my Greek scholar over here if I said that right, um, is self-control or temperance in uh, mastery of specific things. And sophron is a sound mind or self-control. And so we see all of these in different instances, but they're, they're used often interchangeably. Again, there's some subtle differences between them. Um, some, like NASB, is going to interpret this as temperance, um, so you may see temperance or being temperate. Uh, that's also denoting the same type of idea. So I think I'll, I'll leave us with this. We won't get into details here. Um, but the Bible has a lot to say about self-control. First of all, self-control is important. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's a pretty clear description, uh, if you ask me, of lack of self-control. And what's highly ironic there is uh, we're talking about Solomon, who's a tragic example of his own words, uh, who lacked self-control. He took wives from other countries. He was forbidden not to. He had about over 500, I think, maybe 600 wives. Um, So clearly a lack of self-control in the area of lust uh, and Eventually, what happened, his kingdom was divided because of his lack of self-control. Um, so we see a clear admonition of the importance of self-control. Uh, there's also an expectation of self-control. It's listed as a fruit of the spirit. Um, its lack of self-control is listed as a vice of the last days. There's a clear expectation for self-control with leaders in the church, elders, deacons, both uh, being listed as having to be self-controlled. Uh, Titus 2, which we'll get into, is going to be a key verse, uh, which speaks about the reason for self-control. And um, actually, I think that'll be a good note to end on. So let's turn to Titus 2, and then we'll wrap it up, because I think this is ties great in with the sermon. Um, and then we'll leave us on that note. 
So Titus chapter 2, and we're just going to read verses 11 to 14. And I want you to key in on this here because uh, this ties beautifully in with the sermon. Uh, Lest we be discouraged and walk away from this, uh, being discouraged in our battle, I would rather, and I hope, that this is encouraging Pair this with the sermon we've heard this morning, and notice verse 11 starts with what? For the grace of God has appeared. Doing what? Bringing salvation to all people. And doing what? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so what we see here, and I hope this is encouraging for you, I know this verse has been the key as we study self-control. Highlight this, put this in your Bibles. It's the grace of God that we're rooted in that ultimately gives us hope and allows us to battle in these ways. Uh, It's not that it allows us to put our weapons down. It it encourages us, exhorts us to pick them up and battle these sins. And um, all knowing that the war is already won by Christ on the cross. And so rest in this as you battle these sins of the tongue, as you battle these sins of self-control this week. uh, Just rest in this glorious hope that we have in Jesus. It is finished on the cross. And as the pastor Uh, alluded to in the sermon uh, we will be with Christ in paradise so take that as encouragement in your battle against these sins Uh, let me close this in prayer Heavenly Father uh, we thank you for your abundant grace Lord we uh, I often confess I get enamored with the world too easily and lose sight of the beauty of Christ And I just pray that you would renew our passion for Christ, that you would renew um, our fresh look at grace this morning in our lives so that we can take this and run with it, apply it, um, use it to do good to others, to talk about the gospel, to tell others of the glories of Jesus who made this possible. I just pray that you would help us all as we're refined into your image to do battle this week, um, to be more self-controlled, to be restraining our tongues and going deeper than that, dealing with the hard issues uh, that lead to that. And I just pray that you would do this all by the power of your spirit and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.